0: So I invite you to turn to John 8:12 through 59. All right, let's, let's pray as we open up the Word. Father God, we want to thank you for the fact that your Word is truth, that your Word sets us free, that your Word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to come to fill us, to teach us, and we want to be transformed and changed uh, by your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning i want to talk about discipleship under pressure and uh to whet our appetites about this i want you to think about uh this southwest captain tammy joe schultz you've heard about her she was the one who guided the plane to a safe landing in that southwest airlines flight 1380 where the the engine blew up and parts of the engine hit the window killing one person tragically and injuring seven. What she did is really quite amazing. She landed the plane safely, but the way she landed it was was pretty pretty remarkable. Now to let you know a little bit about this cap this captain she was a fighter pilot in 1985. Now I'll tell you in 1985, there were very few female fighter pilots. The competition, for seats on a Hornet F-18 were really intense and fierce, and most women were pr- pr- prohibited from doing that. Tammy Jo was able to do that because she was uh, an outstanding captain. And um, as you know, you learn to fly in these simulators where there's no pressure. You, know, you can't crash the simulator except in simulation. And so as she's learning how to fly her plane... You know, she learns how to be calm in the midst of what could be a chaotic scenario. And when you hear the YouTube, in fact, I have a, this, this is the YouTube clip. It's about eight minutes, and it, des- it shows her very calmly describing what's going on as if she's in a simulator, and then she lands the plane. She's calm in the midst of the chaos, Now, I will tell you that as a follower of Christ, uh, particularly in the year 2018 and going forward, you're going to be in all sorts of chaotic situations. My daughter called me from Seattle. She said, Dad, she said, "I, I need your prayers. She said, we're facing choices about schooling for our kids, and the state of Washington has made some decisions, and the city of Seattle has made some decisions that are very different than our Christian worldview. And we need prayer as we try to navigate this whole matter. I've talked to other people who are trying to navigate very complex situations in a culture that is moving away from the Judeo-Christian moorings that we have had, progressively moving away from that. Your discipleship, your following of Christ in this season of history is at times going to be very chaotic and it's going to be great for you if you can be calm in the midst of the chaos and know where to go and how to work i was listening to a youtube clip recently about a guy who was talking about navy seal toughness what they found out was these navy seal recruits would wash out in the pool exercise Because in the pool exercise, what would happen is you'd get these recruits trying to figure out how to put their masks back on, and the instructors would wrestle with them underwater, and the fear of drowning would come in, and they would wash out and not be able to finish the exercise. So they taught about how do you become mentally tough when you're going through hard times? And you need that. As a follower of Christ, living in this country in this time period, You need that mental toughness that allows you to be a a disciple of Christ in the midst of some chaos. Now, this passage we're going to look at, John 8, um, is about discipleship, and there are three clues to that. John 8, 12, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In this chapter, he's talking about following as a disciple. Uh, John 8, 30, as Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. Okay, because they're they're going to follow him as as disciples. Feels like I lost a little bit of my sound here. And then in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly disciples of mine. This whole chapter is about discipleship. However, what happens in this chapter is total chaos, right? And we're going to see how Jesus instructs his disciples how to be confident disciples in the midst of their chaos. So we start by setting the stage. Jesus is teaching in the temple treasury. And I want to recount a little bit of of the background of this temple treasury. These words he spoke in the treasury. Where is the treasury in the temple? Well, the treasury was this place in the center of the temple mount that was also called the court of the women. And what would happen is you would go, if you wanted to pay your tithes, is you would go into this area and you would take your money and you would put your money in these trumpet-shaped receptacles. And that's how you would give back then. Why brass trumpet-shaped receptacles? Because if you really wanted to show that you were very spiritual, you would take all of your money, convert it into pennies, And he would dump the pennies into the receptacle. And what kind of sound would it make? A big racket. And everybody would go, wow, you must have given a lot of money. You know, Because they like to parade their righteousness in front of people. The court of the treasury is also the court of the women. Here's a model of it. And Jesus is teaching right in the middle of the court of the treasury or the court of of the women. Now, why, why is he teaching there? The reason why is because the Feast of Tabernacles is over. Everybody's gone home. Remember the Feast of Tabernacles? You set up your tent on top of your, of, of your house, and you celebrated for a week on top of your house. If you didn't live in Jerusalem, you came with a caravan, and you camped out on the hillside. Everybody is now gone. They've left. Jesus goes back up on the Temple Mount, and now he's teaching the people who have, who have come to Christ. He's not in the treasury yet. He's on the Temple Mount. Well, guess who they bring to him? They bring to him a woman caught in the very act of adultery. They want to destroy Jesus. So they say, Jesus, what, what are we going to do, do with her? What are we going to do with her? The Bible says to stoner, what do you say? Remember Jesus' famous statement. Let him who is without sin be the first to throw the stone. And one by one, the the people leave. So Jesus now is alone on the vast Temple Mount. Where is he going to go? He goes further into the Temple Mount, into that court of the treasury, the court of the women, because presumably in that area, the leaders are going to be a bit more behaved, right? They're not going to be as as antagonistic. They're going to behave themselves a little bit more. So now he's in there. He's got another group around him now, and he's teaching them, and he's discipling them, and he starts off by saying, Jesus spoke to them. These are new believers. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what he says. But the Pharisees come in and they crash the party again. You just can't get rid of these guys. And what follows in the rest of the chapter is an enormously chaotic discussion between the Pharisees over here and Jesus and the new believers. And Jesus is training the new believers in the midst of the chaos of the discussion of the Pharisees. And I will tell you, it is enormously chaotic. About, about a month month and a half ago, uh, Cindy and I were in Dallas. We were having dinner uh, with uh, another couple. And I got into a discussion, and that discussion did not go well. And, and it was bewildering to me because I said something, and this person didn't understand what I was saying, so I tried to explain it. He thought I was saying something else. I'm rarely in conversations like this, and this was a conversation like that and we just kept missing each other as if I was speaking Arabic and he was speaking Chinese and there was just no communication. And that's Jesus and the Pharisees. Talking, not communicating, but in the midst of all the chaos, he's instructing the faithful on how to be disciples. So here's the instruction on how to be a disciple in the midst of the chaos. Jesus makes four statements. These are amazing statements about how to follow him in the midst of the chaos. Statement number one, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What does it mean to be a disciple and to have Jesus be the light of the world? Well, that's a great question. Here's the core idea. To have the light of life means to walk continuously in the presence of God. For you to be a disciple in the midst of the chaos of this world means that you keep focused on walking and living in the presence of God. Disciples do that. They live in the presence of God. It's all about presence it's about having living in the presence of father son and holy spirit now why why is that the case well let's look quickly at, at, at three different verses genesis 1 1 i got three artists up here in genesis 1 1 god says let there be what light in that statement let there be light god casts his presence into this new creation it's about the presence of god coming into that new creation. So when you think about Genesis 1, 1 through 3, think about Vincent van Gogh at his canvas. Thinking about Mozart on his piano. Think about Michelangelo at his marble. You know, when you look at Michelangelo's marble, you don't see Michelangelo. You see the result of his creation. When you look at van Gogh's paintings, except his self-portraits, obviously, you don't see Vincent van Gogh. You see the results of what he did. But the evidence of what he did is so clear because you can look at a painting and go, that's, that's a Van Gogh. How do you know? Because he's got a certain style to him. See, to walk in the light means that we walk with a sense that we can't see God face to face, but his presence is near. Being a disciple is walking in the presence of God. Let me go to the very last book of the Bible. We also see the light, and night will be no more. They will need need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. God's presence is there at the beginning. In Genesis 1, 1 through 3, God's presence is there at the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. It's all about about presence. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, exact same concept. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's his presence. Presence has shown his presence in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To live in the light is to live continuously in the presence of God. So what does it mean for us as his disciples? If we choose to follow Jesus as the disciples, we are going to encounter his continuous presence. It's a transforming presence. And we're invited to continuously sense his presence around us. So let me illustrate it for you this way. About once a week, um, my son calls me from North Africa. And I know when he calls me, I'm not going to see my son's face first. I'm going to see my grandson's face first. There's my grandson. I'm going to see his face first. Isn't he cute? The first things out of my grandson's mouth are these cars? Cars? Where are the cars? Now, why does he say that? It's because I went to Walmart and I bought some Hot Wheel cars. And I have him in my office, and when he calls, I take the cars out and I show him the various cars in the package. And then, uh, this is sort of embarrassing to even say this, just for a few moments. I'm playing with the cars, and he's looking at the cars, and he's asking for me to show him the various ones in the package. Now, what what am I doing? I am encountering the presence of my grandson, right? But who who else's presence do I know is right there? My son's. His presence is there as well, right? Living as a disciple of Jesus means we live consciously that we are always in the presence of the resurrected Christ and we are treasuring that presence. We're flowing with that presence so that as, as he leads us, we're sensing that he's there. We're sensing that he's guiding us and we're going with the flow of his leadership. Being a disciple is walking in the presence uh, of Christ. Now, do the Pharisees get this? <laughs> no way. No way. They, they don't get it. They continue to argue and bicker for the next dozen uh, or so of verses uh, about whether he has any right to make a claim like that about himself. They argue. In the midst of the argument, Jesus makes a second claim. And the second claim is essentially I am on a mission from my father. He says, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now what's really interesting about this is that there's no curiosity within the Pharisees. No curiosity like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Instead, what they do is they make this automatic assumption Jesus is going to commit suicide. He's going to kill himself. Pharisees are jumping to all sorts of conclusions. Uh, verse 22, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? Again, what follows is this enormous chaotic conversation, but Jesus makes one thing really clear. He's on a mission from the Lord. In John eight twenty-four, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Now, Jesus' mission is all wrapped up in the cross. It's wrapped up in the cross. We see, he says this again John 8, 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am and that I do nothing of my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. He's on a mission. That mission is to address the problem of sin. That problem of sin is going to be addressed by his death on the cross. He's prophesying about that death. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, he's prophesying about that. He's on a mission to deal with sin. That sin is going to be defeated on the cross. And then in John eight twenty nine, he says, And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing with him. What's he saying there? He's saying, I'm, I'm on a mission to deal with sin. I'm going to deal with sin based upon my death in the cross, and the Father who sent me on this mission is empowering me continuously so that I can fulfill that mission I came to activate. If you put all the details together, one thing is clear, he's God. He's on a mission from the Father, and that mission is wrapped up in the cross. And I wonder if you noticed what I think is an incredible detail the incredible detail is he repeats the use of the word I am five times here and it's going over their head, over their head, over their head, over their head until the last time. And then they go, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, wh- what, is he, what is he saying? They know exactly what he was saying. He's claiming to be God. We'll see that in a moment but he's wetting their appetites. He is the Son of God on a mission from the Father to address the problem of sin by going to the cross and he is going to depend upon the Father the rest of his life until that kind of thing happens. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, the way it applies to us is that you're also on a mission from God as a disciple. And if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you understand this very well. John 20 and verse 21 Jesus says peace be with you as the father has sent me Jesus just talked about being sent so i am sending you so as a disciple you have to realize okay i too am on a mission from the father it's not primarily about my marriage, although that's really important. It's not primarily about my career, although that's really important. It's not primarily about my family, although that's really important. not primarily about what I want to see happen in my life, although that could be very important as well. It's primarily about living under the Father's command to love him and to lead people to him. It's a mission and discipleship is a life of mission where we're focused on this one thing it's we're focused on declaring the availability of the kingdom through the person of jesus we're, we're, we're declaring the gospel it's about the cross about the resurrection about christian values about christian love pointing the way to life in christ it begins with the cross you're on a mission now i think being on a mission as a disciple should give you a sense of urgency and, and i'll i'll put it to you this way here's a picture of the northern woods of Michigan so when I was in uh, just before high school I went to a camp in northern Michigan called Camp Heowinta on Torch Lake and we spent one month at that camp doing backpacking trips the camp was kind of our home base we would do backpacking trips into northern Michigan eight boys two counselors and uh, one day, two of the boys got lost. So we looked around the camp area, no kids. We looked around the perimeter, no kids. For the next seven hours, we are calling out their names. And uh, one, I, I even remember the names to, these, to, these, to this day. One of the guys' names was Crawley. And the other guy's name was Heyo, And I don't know if that was his first name or his last name, but Hayo Crawley. Now you see how dense this forest is. Guess what happened is we're yelling out their names. It was deadened, deadened by the thickness of the trees in the forest. But I will tell you, my worst case scenario was the idea of being alone, lost in the woods. So I'm thinking, my mission And the mission of this team is to find those people who are lost. That was all we were thinking about. We didn't think about hunger. We didn't think about the next camping area. All we thought about was finding these two who were lost. We finally found them. They were lost. We finally found them. But, you know, when you're on a mission from the Father, you feel this sense of urgency. Like, I want to be a conduit of the good news to the members of my family, to some of my friends, to some of the people who are my work associates who I think may be open to hearing about the message. You feel the sense of urgency. Disciples feel urgent about sharing the message. You want to be a disciple in the midst of the chaos? Start feeling the urgency about declaring the message. Here's the third thing Jesus says. Again, there's more, there's more chaos. There's more confusion up there on the Temple Mount. Jesus presents his third claim, and his third claim is, I can set you free. Now, in John eight thirty, we see that many believed in him. And I would think about that just for a second. It's really chaotic up there. The Pharisees are, are there arguing. Jesus is explaining himself. The people over here, the disciples, are listening, and the Pharisees realize they're not listening to us. They're listening to Jesus. What do you suppose that did to them? They were enraged over the fact that they were not being listened to. Many believed in him. Uh, and so what does Jesus says say to them? Jesus said to the Jews who had just believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's the goal. The goal as a disciple is to encounter freedom through the word. So, I want you to think about this for a second. You know, freedom always has two sides to it. Um, side one of freedom is, is freedom from something. Freedom from something that's negative. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the law. Freedom from slavery. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from bad, uh, a bad relationship. Freedom from discouragement, despair, despondency, when you get liberated from a condition that once dominated you, how do you feel? You feel like, wow, freedom, love it. But freedom is also the freedom to do something. I am not free to go up to that piano there and to play a Mozart piano sonata. I'm not free to do that. Can't do it. Wish I could, love listening to it. I am not free to play that. Why? I haven't practiced. I don't know how to read music. I'm not free. I am not free to go outside right now and run a marathon. Not free to do it. I haven't practiced. I am not free to do brain surgery on you. I haven't completed medical school. I haven't done a brain surgery residency. I'm not free. So freedom is freedom from something and it's freedom to something. Are you glad there are people who are free to play Mozart piano concerti? Aren't you glad there are people who do brain surgery? Aren't you glad that there are people who can run marathons? I'm glad people can do that. Freedom is freedom from something or freedom to something. And when Jesus says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, He's saying it'll set you free from something, that is sin, and it will set you free to something, and that is to walk in a sense of power. It's freedom from, and it's freedom to. A lot of people, when they think about freedom, they think, okay, it's only freedom from sinning. I won't sin anymore, but where's the fun? What Jesus is saying, it is freedom from being dominated by sin, but it's freedom to live out your life with a sense of purpose and power you didn't have before. And Jesus says, disciples get that kind of freedom. Um, I have a very vivid, demonst- uh, very vivid memory about this when I, was in, when I was in high school. One summer I was, ca- I was a caddy at a local country club. And um, I, 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 just, I just went to Google Maps to figure out how far it was from my house to that country club. Because I, I, I rode my bike there every day, every morning. My dad wanted me up early out of the house, summer vacation, earning money, caddying. Did I wanna do that? Not so much, not so much, but I did. I'd get up, get on my bike, I'd ride 4.5 miles to the country club, and I would be a caddy. I have no idea how long that golf course is, but the average golf course is 4.5 miles. So, I rode 4.5 miles, I caddied walking, 4.5 miles with two bags on my shoulder, one on each side, 18 holes. And then I would pedal back all summer long. Um, So didn't like it, not fun. I earned some money. That was good. Didn't like it. And then the summer's over. And I go back to soccer practice on the soccer team at Nutri High School. And the first day of practice, I think, I am fast. Like I am, I am like a hundred percent faster than I was last year. Why was I 100 percent faster? Because I ran and I walked 13 miles a day, six days a week for three months in the summer. I was free to run as fast as I wanted to run on the soccer team and score goals. And I loved walking in that freedom. If you're going to be a disciple of of chaos, you want to anticipate the freedom that you have by being a follower of Christ. And I'm going to ask you the question, is there something in your life right now that you say, you know, I want this freedom in my life? I want it. I want to be free from something and to something in my life. I want freedom from that thing that gets me down. I want freedom to do this thing that will make my life better. Do you you have those things? Are you dreaming about those things? The promise is you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Freedom from versus freedom to. Now we come to the fourth claim. The fourth claim is, I'm God. Yeah, this, is, this is really fun. He just flat out says, I am God in human flesh. Now here's, here's the story. The Pharisees are now just trying to do anything they can to trap Jesus, anything they can to trap him. Because what's happening is all the people are listening to Jesus, they're believing in Jesus, and the Pharisees realize they're losing the debate right up there on the Temple Mount in the treasury, losing the debate. So the Pharisees are just badgering him. In verse 49, they call him a Samaritan. That was a big racial slur. And here the religious leaders are calling Jesus, using this this terrible racial slur up on the Temple Mount. Then they say he has a demon. And to say somebody has a demon means to say you, you are mentally ill. You are crazy. And you're spiritually deranged as well. All the while, Jesus is lovingly inviting the people you know, toward himself. Like he's, He'll say things like, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. You know, Craziness over here, teaching the disciples over here. You know, it's crazy. Um, so Jesus then pulls out his trump card. He says, uh, you think your father Abraham was so great, you Pharisees? Uh, yeah, he was great. And then he says this, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Pharisees are freaking out. They're freaking out. People with blood pressure cuffs came up to the Pharisees. Guys, let me see how your blood pressure, oh, 200 over 100, that's not good. Calm down. They're not calming down. So Jesus then says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, i am now remember he has prepared them to hear this because four times previously he's used the term i am now he just flat out says it clearly before abraham was born i am uh the religious leaders they rush over to their rock piles there were rock piles in the temple Mount in case somebody violated the law they rush over to their rock piles i can just see these guys picking up two stones you know i got my case i missed the first time bam, I'm going to get him the second time. And then it says that Jesus Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, please don't think like Jesus runs over to the pillar and hides himself behind the pillar like he's afraid and cowering. You read this carefully, you realize that it's like there was this supernatural bubble of protection around Jesus. That just meant they couldn't get to him. I would love to see how this, how this would have worked out. But they, they were not able to, to grab him. What's the point of the I am claim? The point of the I am claim all has to do with Abraham. Right? Because, because Abraham was part of a big story that began in Genesis chapter 12. Jesus is the continuation of that story in John eight fifty eight, And you are the continuation of that story again in the year 2018, right? Because to be a disciple means you're in the midst of this really big epic story. I talk about being in an epic story a lot. But you as a disciple are in the midst of a big epic story. You've become Achilles in the Iliad. If that doesn't grab you, you've become Frodo in the Lord of the Rings, if that didn't grab you, you become Peter in the Chronicles of Narnia. You become Mel Gibson in Braveheart. You become Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. You become Jean Valjean in Les Mis. You get the pick. You get the point. You become incorporated as a disciple into this big, gigantic story, and you have no idea the influence that you have in that story. Uh, at home, I have a passport that my great-great-uncle had when he was a missionary to China 20 years after Hudson Taylor went to China. His name was Jasper Scudder McIlvain. And he was in China. He grew his hair very long, and he adopted Chinese dress, and he went into the central part of China. He was there for seven years, led some people to Christ, and he died after seven years, having not married Having had no kids. So you look, you look at the guy and you go, okay, like wasted life. Or was it a wasted life? Because I got a hold of his letters and I read those letters. And his letters are fascinating. And what I, what I realized is here, here's a guy who sacrificed for something, part of a big story, but now he has a legacy among the other members of our family, that has multiplied. And that's you. That's you. As a disciple, you don't know the big story you're in. Do you feel like Frodo in the Lord of the Rings today? Do you you feel like Mel Gibson in Braveheart today? Eh, Maybe not. Maybe not. But I'm telling you, you are you are a significant person God's big story and what disciples do is they champion that significance and they say I'm gonna walk in this and I am going to live my life as if this is true of me even if I can't quite see it in my life right now so a core idea is this Jesus has come from God to show us the way to the Father to set us free to give us life that's the main idea he's come from God to show us the way to God, to set us free, to give us life. And in this life, we encounter his presence, we live live with his purpose, we experience his freedom, and we live in his story. That's how disciples operate, if they are going to live as disciples in the midst of the chaos. So some quick takeaways. Takeaway number one is this. Consider the love of the Father. To walk in the light means to live in the Father's presence. You know, as a disciple, you're always in the Father's presence. You are charged with the responsibility of discerning that presence. So one of the ways to apply this is, all right, I need to live in the Father's presence. What does that mean for me Monday morning when I wake up and start work? I I need to intentionally live in the Father's presence. Um, John 1-7 is a great verse on this. If we walk in the light as God himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That is God and fellow believers. And the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. You can wake up Monday morning. You can do this this afternoon. You can walk in the presence of the Father. Second quick takeaway is this. Consider the sufficiency of God's word. God's word sets you free. And you are living in the golden era of biblical study Biblical information There's never been a time in the history of humanity where you have more information to explain the truth of the scriptures. Study Bibles, podcasts, you versions of the the Bible. It's it's all there. You've got it. Consider the sufficiency of God's word to set you free. And the final one is you are called into a countercultural community. One quick idea. Pharisees are over here. The new disciples are over here. The Pharisees are calling Jesus a Samaritan. The Pharisees are calling Jesus mentally ill. The Pharisees are calling Jesus demon-possessed. And the people over here are realizing, okay, so if I follow Jesus, I am going to be part of a countercultural community. I'm not going to be liked by the people who are in charge. What I'm saying to you is, as a disciple, be okay with you being part of a countercultural community. A lot of people are not going to like you simply because you bear the name of Christ. Is that okay for you? Well, if you're going to be a disciple, you learn to expect, okay, I'm going to be friendly with people. I'm going to be winsome with people, but I'm not going to be liked by people because some people are just going to reject the central core of my life, which is Jesus Christ. So as we close this morning, I would just love to have you um, bow before the Lord for a second and just consider this aspect of discipleship. You live in a, in a season of chaos in this world. You want to be calm in the midst of the chaos. How do you do it? How do you do it? Well, it, it's rooted in living in his presence. It's rooted in having a mission. It's rooted in, in being set free. It's rooted in things like that. And so I'm I'm asking you to ask the Lord for those things. Well, just a moment of silence, and then David will close us. David Rumpf will close us in prayer. Father God, thank you that uh, your presence and your freedom and inviting us into mission with you gives us the ability to have grace under pressure. Thank you that uh, we get to walk with you and experience that on a daily basis. Be with us this week and help us to feel that uh, presence and that light and that freedom. Amen.